Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Shanghai Nation, Shanghai with you once again on a Friday afternoon. Real fast before we jump into things, some show notes. If you are looking for some professional wrestling in the next couple of days, tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. FGW in Hamilton, Ohio. TRP running a benefit show in Fall River, Massachusetts with Bob Evans there. 907 Pro Wrestling in Anchorage, Alaska. WTF in Carmel, Indiana. PWA in Lebanon, Tennessee. And MCW in Osceola, Arkansas. Tomorrow night, you can find myself in Vaughn, Washington at the Key Peninsula Civic Center for Northwest Pro. First Wrestling in Minneapolis, Minnesota. BTPW in Man, West Virginia. Emerge in Columbus, Indiana. NGW in Goodland, Indiana. XCF in Indianapolis, Indiana. RCW in South Bend, Indiana. NWF in Fairfield, Ohio. DOA in Portland, Oregon. Supreme in Madison, Indiana. And SCW in Zanesville, Ohio tomorrow. Without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest back to the show today. He has been on multiple times, and it is always a great pleasure to have him. Gary Morgenstein, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Welcome back. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, when I, I was listening to the Block Talk Radio Girl <laughs> uh, countdown as, as we were waiting to go on the air, and I don't know if I ever told you this, back in the days when um, pods were just starting, I had a show called Purple Haze on Block Talk Radio with Ken Gold and Frederick Germay, and we, did, we, we would have maybe 20,000 downloads a week. We were, we were rather popular until it, it just, we just went our separate ways. And I remember people, I'd say, well, I'm, you know, I have a radio show. I said, well, it's not really radio. Maybe someday you'll get a real radio show. And there was, it was the frontier then. People dismissed the pod universe. And it's just interesting to see I mean, how many podcasts are there in the United States, like three quarters of a million, something insane? Absolutely. And I like to think a lot of people got their start right on this program as many a time. A wrestler will have done an interview with us and then shortly thereafter announce a brand-new podcast that they're hosting. Love so it. it's definitely groundbreaking for us. Yes, it's great to reach people. That's, you know, that's the most important thing, right? You reach people, you touch people, you talk to people, you exchange views, do respectfully, entertainingly. It's wonderful. Which you do so most great on this definitely. show. You in the, yeah. Now, you 
have a big project that is coming out in December. We've been anticipating this for quite a while. The third of the trilogy of your dystopian future baseball-related books coming to bookstores near our listeners. Can you tell us the details on the third book? Well, it's A Dugout to Peace, and it's the third novel, as you, as you say, the final book in the trilogy, which started uh, with The Mound Over Hell, and then A Fastball for Freedom. You notice, everyone notices the baseball um, theme, the language. Uh, that, uh, there's a theme there, a connective theme. And it's, uh, what I started this trilogy, and I'll tell, I'll tell everyone what it's about, but I, I first got this idea in May 2015, so this is how long I've been working on it, and my wife and I were having Sunday breakfast of um, bagels and cream cheese and listening to the Beatles. And as it is with writers, the thought just pops into your head. And the idea popped into my head, what if America has lost World War III, the government is run by someone named Grandma, and baseball is facing its final season ever? I thought, well, you know, that's not a bad idea, is it? Now I just have to now I just have to write it and expand. And now, in a, as you say, in December, um, the third book is coming out, and it's it's very heartening. It's I I can truly say that no one has ever done a dystopian, to my knowledge, no one has ever done a dystopian baseball trilogy with with the the elements of politics and things that are happening today and and projecting into the future. Um, I think this is kind of unique, if I do say so myself. Absolutely it is. Uh, reading the first two books and looking ahead to the third one, one of the things I noticed is there's an element of some good wrestling story happening. You have Puppy, who at one time was a rising star before having to step away due to injuries, then making a massive comeback and regaining popularity before getting knocked down once again. And then here we are in the third book, and I'm sure Puppy's going to play a major part. It reminds me of a baby-faced wrestler that starts off strong as a rookie and then maybe has an injury or loses steam. And then after a couple of years, has that resurgence of popularity and is bigger than ever. And then that gets derailed and he's on that precipice if he can make another run or if he's just going to go back down the ladder to obscurity. Was that a conscious thought going into your mind or was that something that just kind of played out as something that, fans could interpret, but maybe it wasn't a on-purpose decision. Well, you know, wrestling is famous, um, and, and, you know, you listeners who have heard the shows before and, and, know, and remember me, I was one of the founding editors of PWI, of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, back in the day. I mean, when it launched, I, I think Mil Mascaris was on the cover, the first cover of PWI, and I pretty much wrote all the articles except for, well, what Bill Apter might have written, um, an article, I'm sure, and, uh, you know, Peter King and, of course, the great Matt Brock, who's still with us, believe it or not, 
He's old, but he's still there. Matt Brock, I hear from him regularly. Um, and so wrestling has the, – the, what, what people um, love about wrestling is the drama, all the stories, all the ups and downs. Or is the you know is it is as you say so correctly the precipice, and in this book, it's in the novel which begins in 2098, book one, um, after America has lost World War Three to the Islamic Empire, democracy's dead, we are run by uh, an, an entity called the the family, and disgraced baseball begins its final season ever, down to two teams playing at Amazon Stadium in the Bronx, and. Uh, you, you used to be Yankee Stadium. And so it's about ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And I think that's what captures um, the attention of readers, of people who go to the movies, who go to plays, and people who go to wrestling. You know, you, you want to root for the guy who you can identify with. I'm looking at the books... I know you have a lot of writing experience and so forth and so on. Did you ever delve into or get approached to book a wrestling company based on your knowledge of the sport and your ability to write? To do what? To um, to do a wrestling book? Uh, no, to mm-hmm. book wrestling. Actually, work for a promotion and. Uh, no. Book the storylines and so forth and so on. No, no, I never have. No, I was always on the the journalistic side when I worked at um, PWI, and you know we also did the wrestler and and inside wrestling. So I never got to that, but it would have been fun, I think. It really would. Now remember, I was back in the day, you know, kayfabe. I mean, this was it was a different wrestling than fans know today. Uh, this, I, I'll tell you, you know. I mean, it's, you know, we've already, I mean, Stu Sachs and I and Phil after a few years ago did an article and we, we talked all about exactly how the magazines were put together. If I may, could I share that with everyone again? Absolutely. So what we would do is we say we, so we, we, we wrote the stories. We made up the stories to fit the prevailing narrative. So we weren't going to suddenly have, Bruno San Martino to be um, a bad guy, a rule breaker. Um, that, that wasn't going to happen. You had to go along with what was happening in the ring, but you could embellish things. And that was fine as long as you leaned into the good guys being good and the bad guys being bad. But, you know, to your point about the drama and, and, and the gray areas, we would, when we would do the stories, there was a lot of, you know, emotions and doubts, and it wasn't just cut and dried and, um, I remember, so we, for example, we'd get photographs. We'd sit around the table. Back in the day, it was Peter King was the editor, and then um, the great Stu Sachs took over. And, of course, we had, you know, the, the true living legend, Bill Apter, there. I mean, I mean, he, Bill is on, in, on a level, you know, all, apart from all of us. And we, so we'd select a photograph, okay? Today was Andre the Giant. And Andre was wrestling someone. And we'd say, okay, this is going to be the cover shot. Now we have to come up with the headline. So maybe we come up with the headline, The Secret Agony of Andre the Giant. And then I'd go back to my desk, and I'd write a three-page story about what that secret agony was. And 
I maybe there was a couple times where someone said, you know, you went a little too far. But really, for the most part, we all worked together. We all wanted to promote the sport, which was at that time viewed as sports. It was considered, you know, real. Uh, and it was not until it became, you know, the entertainment uh, juggernaut of uh, Vince Jr. Uh, but we went along with it, and it was, you know, uh, it, it was it was great fun. It was absolutely wonderful fun. And uh, I, I tell you, you're not going to meet a nicer bunch of people than wrestlers, men and women. They're just respectful. They're generous. They're gracious. They're bright. And they and unlike many other athletes, unfortunately now, nowadays, they have enormous respect for their fans. They truly appreciate the fans. I I would often think that wrestlers are kind of what athletes were back in the day, uh, once upon a time, when there was athletes didn't make quite the kind of money they they do now, and there wasn't you know the the bridges between them and all the the uh, emphasis on money and autographs and, and memorabilia and making money off of all that. And uh, I'm going back a long ways now, okay? When I grew up in New York, as maybe you, everyone knows from this accent, and I used to go to the old Madison Square Garden with my dad, and I, I loved it. And you would, you, you'd wait outside the player's entrance after the game, and they'd come out and they'd actually stop and sign autographs for you. And they were fine about it. And there was one Knicks game where um, I was chasing down autographs and Willis Reed, the great Knicks captain. I mean, you you remember, you you know who Willis Reed was, Jason, of course, because you're a big Hoops fan. And he was the captain of the Knicks. And so he patiently waited for his friend 10 feet away to sign my autograph. And he was leaning on my father. My father was a, a, a paper hanger and he had this battered station wagon, okay? And, you know, you just have these two guys just talking, just small talk, but talking as if there's no distinction between them, okay? And that's how sports used to be, right? And that was the relationship. And I came back and I had my autographs and Willis was, couldn't be nicer. And he and my father shook hands. And that was a beautiful moment. You don't see that anymore. I mean, I'm not saying you don't anywhere, but rarely. But in, in wrestling, that kind of uh, connection with the with the the wrestlers and the fans is is really there, and it, it's a wonderful thing. Agreed. Now you talk about hoops. There was an article in PWI many many years ago that speculated Kenny Skywalker, who played on the Knicks and had a big college career for the University of Kentucky was yeah. giving thought yeah. to joining professional wrestling. That never came to fruition, but we did see NBA stars Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone get into wrestling. Dennis Rodman had a comeback last week in wrestling. We've seen several NBA players uh, come out with championship belts and pay homage to wrestling. Kevin Nash was a professional basketball player before getting into wrestling, so there's that link between basketball and pro wrestling. Do you think that 
because there's been so many football players over the years that got into wrestling that basketball players are often overlooked as far as what they've contributed? Yeah, I think so, because you think of the um, the wrestlers as more all that muscle, right? Like as, tall, as broad as they're tall. And uh, basketball players simply have different physiques. Now, they're strong, so I mean... And they're incredible athletes, to say the very least. You're running up and down the court. It's the strength, the agility, the balance. It's, it's truly amazing, uh, a basketball player. But I think people look to football players. I remember back in the day, um, Ernie Land of the San Diego, of the San Diego um, Chargers went into wrestling. Do you remember that? No, that's going back a while. But he's, I think he's one of the earliest football players to get into wrestling. Yeah, I think you're right. At least one of the big stars. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there is a video on YouTube that shows some of the Jim Crockett promotion stars of the day, such as Lex Luger, Sting, Barry Windham, and Dusty Rhodes, playing in what I believe was an annual charity basketball game against the Charlotte, North Carolina Police Department. Did you ever see this famous NWA basketball game? No, no. I mean, Dusty Rhodes was always one of my favorites. He was a class act. There were some astonishingly classy wrestlers back in the old days. You you talk about Bruno Sammartino. To me, Bruno, you know, embodied class. And I think, you know, when you, when you give the audience what they want and you give them characters and personalities, they return and they return. And, they, and, and I think that's why wrestling has been so successful in its many incarnations. You know, at first it was, you know, something a little mystique, enigmatic. It was, you know, you didn't talk about the rules. It was... You know, you were sworn to, to, to secrecy. You would never uh, – I remember when, um, when I was working at the magazine, and I would tell my friends how I wrote the, we wrote the stories. And they say, yeah, but, you know, there was that time when it was real, when Bruno was hurt or something, because human nature wants to latch on to that. It's like when people read, you know, a book, when, when you create characters, and I have a, a whole – uh, you, you know, I have all these wonderful characters who are very flawed, from Puppy Nidic, who, yes, by the way, um, plays a, a major role in a dugout the piece. I mean, you don't have to worry about that, Jason. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but baseball um, plays a huge role, and, you know, pretty much um, the boys of summer save the world. How about that? How about that? And, and puppies right there, and, and yes, so, and but people pick up a book. You know, people go to the movies, and there's always talk about you know CGI, special effects, and I'm sorry, but no one remembers really the special effects. Not for law. I mean, you could say, oh wow, that was cool, but it, you know nowadays it's like yeah, whatever. But people always remember the characters and the stories, and when they connect. And I think as a writer, it's so important to make your characters real. 
And uh, now writers talk about this all the time, and it sounds very trippy. So everyone's got to fit. You got to cut you a little slack here. But truly, when you're writing, the characters take over. I mean, I'd be I'd be writing a scene, and and suddenly, I, in my head, they'd be saying, "What are you doing, you schmuck? That's all wrong. I wouldn't do that. What's wrong with you?" And they just take over. You step back, and the characters you're inhabited by the characters. And you say, oh, no, aren't they your characters? Well, I don't know about that. I, I happen to believe that the door opens to the other side, and I'm not going to, you know, get into a discussion of religion, um, but whatever you want to think the other side to wherever you think the other side goes, okay, you can, you can, pl- you can go along with me there, and they come into your mind. And I think when you, as a novelist, you want to put that on paper. And what's a, what's a challenge for a novelist, unlike someone who writes movies or TV or theater, because I, I, as you know, I also write award-winning plays. When you're a novelist, it's all up to you and the writer. You, you, you're up to you and the reader, okay? They have to imagine what you're imagining, and then you're going to imagine something different. I know you love Puppy. I think Puppy's your, Puppy is your favorite, might be your favorite character, right? Now, how you imagine Puppy is probably not the same way I imagine Puppy, but we're both right. And that's the wonder of it. And you take it and you identify with the character and you see things and you come up with a backstory that I didn't write, but you are part of it and you're part of the creative process. It's, it's really, it's very magical. One of the big things in books in the last many, many years is the selling of the movie rights in case a movie studio decides to make a film adaptation of a book or a series of books. At this point, have you had any discussions with anyone on the rights for the series of books in case someone wants to make a movie of it? Nothing too seriously yet. I think I was kind of waiting for the trilogy to be done, and I think it would make um, a great TV show. I think it'd be too much material because it does cover – we're talking about covering the globe. Uh, In in book one, a lot of the action, most of the action takes place in America. A lot of it um, is focused on the Bronx, where the the government of the United States has moved after Washington – was uh, hit by a nu- nuclear attack by the Islamic Empire. And there's a little bit of Europe, a little bit of um, Spain. There's a little bit of London, or the Caliphate of London, the Caliphate of, of, of Spain. And But the book really opens up with book two. There's more in the Islamic Empire. Um, but baseball runs consistently. In, in, in book one, baseball is about, as I say, is about ready to close up shop. And puppy is thinking, okay, now I need to get a job, because in this world where religion is outlawed, where patriotism is outlawed, um, where the entertainment industry is outlawed, um, it's very much like a nanny state, like a benign dictatorship, but it's crumbling from within. We don't know it at that moment. Um, But baseball is a common theme. And in book one, and I could say, because the books came out, the first book came out in 2018, it was called... uh, 1984 meets Shoeless Joe, 
and baseball puppy on his birthday wakes up the next morning hung over and there's this old guy kind of fat old guy kind of smelly lying on his floor he's saying oh really this is really not what i need now and the guy says well I'm, and the puppy says who are you he says i'm mickey mantle he says yeah right whatever okay sure what else is new it, this figures and then a few days later a very courtly southern gentleman comes in and introduces himself as ty cobb and so they helped Puppy, who, as you said, had an injury and was on his way to becoming a major league. He hurt his shoulder. And they bring back baseball for at least half a season. And what, why it's baseball is because unlike other sports, and I don't want to insult anyone, other sports, I have enormous respect for anyone who competes and anyone who, who drives themselves. But baseball has a is part of the soul of this country. There was a reason why it was called the national pastime. And when you, baseball is connected historically and socially to the past, it's uh, at times a, a mirror of it, unlike any other sports. The numbers in baseball are special. I mean, can, really, how, who's, I guess, Tom Brady is the all-time leader in passing yardage, but is, is, do you know the, the number of yards? With, no, don't cheat, Jason. You can't cheat and look it up, okay? Don't Google it. But, but you know, you know, baseball, it was 60 home runs. It was 61. It was 56, you know, the numbers. It was Cy Young's 511 career wins. You know, it, it was Lou Gehrig's, and it was Cal Ripken's consecutive hitting streak. It was numbers that always resonated over the generations. And they, records are, were broken because that's records are meant to be broken because that's life. Um, but there's a sentiment, and that's what I try to reach and touch on, the love of baseball. Now, when America is on the verge of dying, we've lost a world war, our democracy is gone, baseball is like the last hope. To, to resurrecting and remembering what we used to be. And in book two, it, there's um, something called the Caliphate Baseball Association. When Puppy flees, Puppy and his um, ex-wife Annette, they flee to, to London. And um, he sets up a, 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 a games featuring old POWs, um, baseball players who were prisoners of war from World War III, to play against the um, Islamic so you know it it, it unites, and, then we, and when we get into book three, everyone will see, you know, the, the huge role that baseball will, will play there. But it, it is there, there is to love baseball, you need sentiment. You don't need sentiment to love football. You don't need sentiment to love basketball. But when you go into a baseball stadium, and, and I think your listeners, you know, you of course, Jason, and the people out there who love baseball. When you see the green, it, to me, it looks like heaven's front lawn. It's just a beautiful thing. And those moments, you know, the, the first catch with your, your, your dad or your mom, doesn't matter, your first baseball glove, it's, it has a, a more special moment than other sports. And that's what I tried to capture and, um, as I unfolded this, a, a dystopian world, which is a little dark. But ultimately, it's saved by people's faith. And I don't mean religious faith, okay? I'm not talking organized religion. 
I'm not talking God. I'm talking about faith in ourselves and each other. And I, and as a writer, there's so much going on in our world. We're not going to talk, you know, we, we all know what's going on. We watch the news. Um, but writers have a choice, okay? We can write worlds which reflect that and just darken it and yell and scream like it's happening all around us. Or we can say, okay, yeah, this is the reality. This is our world today. But here's a light at the end. And here's a way to, there's a way forward out of this. Don't despair. And I think that's very important for for writers, for artists, for actors, for directors to always remember that you can't just point fingers and blame. You must show more. You must show a positiveness. doesn't have to be gooey. doesn't have to be schmaltzy. It can be realistic. Not everyone is going to hug and kiss. You know, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But I, I think, and that's what I try to do in a, in a very, um, you know, dystopian world. There's a lot of humor um, because I think readers like to have humor because if there's some scenes which are really like, whoa, <laughs> that's intense. You've got to let them them relax and, and, and breathe it off. Um, and one of the other things when you have a book released is the audiobook version, and audiobooks have become very, very popular over the years because you can listen to them in a car or on the airplane or manners where you can't necessarily read comfortably. Are there plans in place to have audiobook versions of the series? Yeah, I've been talking to the publisher about that, yes. Obviously, there's a lot of parts in the uh, book. There's a lot of characters. Yes. Would yes. you be would you be doing the parts yourself, or would you outsource to voice actors? Where have you gotten that far in the talks? No, I I don't know. That's that's really not entirely up to me. The publisher makes all those decisions and how that's done. Yes, there's a lot of characters. I don't know how one person could do them all. So that's all. To be honest, I don't listen to audiobooks. I'm very old school. I don't um, read. Uh, I don't have a Kindle. I I have books that are like books. You can pick them up, <laughs> and you need a bookmark, and you put it in your lap, or you you know lay it against your your, your knee. Um, I I have never deviated from that. I know people love the audio books. People have asked me this question before. Um, so, but I, my knowledge is not too comprehensive on this. I also don't have a car. I, maybe that sounds silly. Uh, I I I'm in Brooklyn, um, so I think a lot of times when people audio books are great because people are driving, right? I mean, is that is that when you listen to this? Um. I don't do audiobooks a great deal myself, but my wife is very, very big on audiobooks, and she'll listen uh, sort of when she has downtime at work or if she's uh, doing other tours around the house, things of that nature. So I know there are big fans of it. Uh, I occasionally will pick up an audiobook, and it's usually 
uh, playing in the background if I'm catching up on things around the house. Yeah. I would rather just listen to music around the house. <laughs> I, I don't listen much to the radio. I'll listen to classic rock. I'll listen to jazz. Like, you know, people, when they drive, they listen to talk radio. They'll say, oh, have you listened to blah, blah, or, you know, and I say, well, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Again, it's, you know, it's sometimes where you are and what you do and how you move about. Now, I know you did not write this, but there has been a motion picture that is made and coming out shortly after the release of your book. It chronicles the life and times of the Von Erichs, and wrestling fans are very interested to see how this is going to translate to the big screen because the Von Erichs had a very, very lengthy and very controversial run in pro wrestling, and fans are just interested to see how that story will be told. Do you have any opinions on the movie without having seen it necessarily, but just in general having a movie this big come out on the Von Erichs? Is it a documentary or is it a drama? No, it is based on a true story, but it is a biographical type motion picture. Oh, that's interesting. Well, it's because I remember when I first started writing um, and I remember Fritz von Erich and he would, you know, talk about the Nazis and, you know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, that's, and, but he got away with it, you know, those in different times. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy with his sons. So I'm, I'm very curious about this. I'm, oh, who's, um, do you know offhand, who directed or who's starring in it? Uh, yes, actually. The director is a guy named Sean Durkin. And as the main star of the film is Zac Efron. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. And from everything I've seen, which is mostly still photos at this point, with just a tiny snippet of video, it looks like they went to a great deal of effort to get into the type of shape and to look the part of the Von Erichs. And it is a big budget production. It was, I believe, a $20 million budget. Wow. That's pretty good for a movie like this. I, I, I bet it does good box office. Well, I hope wrestling fans oh. go, or, or you come out and support it. Hopefully so. Uh, there are a few actual wrestlers in the film as well. Uh, MJF is going to be Lance Von Erich, and then hmm. Chavo Guerrero Jr. will be the Sheik, and Ryan Nemeth, who is the brother of Dolph Ziggler, is Gino Hernandez. Wow. That's, re- that's very cool. That is very cool. I wonder if it's... Um going to be associated with any of the streaming series, like, you know, like an Amazon or a Netflix or anything like that. 
I have no idea. I presume after the theatrical release, it will pop up somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely getting a theatrical release. Um, I believe it's Christmas Day. Oh, how interesting. Well, you know, the state of American movies has been in decline of late, to say the least. It's just the movies are not very good. I, I loved Oppenheimer when it came out um, in July. I thought it was very smart. I, I, we have not seen, my wife and I have not seen Barbie. I think I'm going to wait a while on that. I, you know, I was never a Barbie fan. Um, but American movies are not what they used to be. So I, I applaud anything that's going to be good and sharp because I'd like to go see it. Because I used to go to the movies a lot, an awful lot. I, um, I'm a member of BAFTA, which is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. And um, we used to go to screenings like once a week, easy. And now it's like, well, do I really want to take the subway into Manhattan at night and, you know, risk that to see this movie, which is mediocre, which I can wait on? Although, you know what movie looks really good is, now, again, I've just seen the trailer, is Napoleon. Have you seen the trailers directed by Ridley Scott? starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix? I did, yes. I mean, that's, you know, because Joaquin Phoenix is is a little strange. (laughs) A little strange. And so I think he's going to be a wonderful Napoleon. I could definitely see him kind of method acting his way through that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think that's going to be a terrific movie. That's one of the few movies. Well, if you've been noticing or following it at all, uh, so many um, movies because of the strike are now being moved into 2024. Absolutely. No, movies and television you know, are definitely on hold at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So you got to you know go back in time, find um, movies that you like or TV shows that you've missed. You know, there's so much product out there, Jason. Uh, you just discover stuff that, you know, you, you might have missed. Um, I've been discovering some stuff on Showtime, on, on Max. Uh, it's, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of content out there to go through. But you still would like new shows. Now, I, I love, um, I don't know if you're a, a, a trekker, but I love Strange New World. Absolutely. One of the best Star Treks I think they've released in a long time. Yes. I think, to me, Anton Mount is the best um, uh, Enterprise captain since um, Kirk. I think he's just wonderful. I think the show is really terrific. But now, when is that going to come? You know, season three will be when? 2025, maybe? Because the strike is not ending. That was yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, no, no, they might suddenly, someone might cave because, you know, the companies are losing money, but, and the, you know, the actors and writers, you know, I'm not talking about Angelina Jolie, I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, the, the folks who don't make that kind of money um, and the writers and everything. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Absolutely. Now, of course, when you look at the strike, one of the things a lot of people don't take into account is 
professional wrestling and baseball, basketball, they also have people that have to write the formats and they will come up with like skits and things of that nature that are somewhat scripted for announcers to do or in wrestling a lot of it like the backstage segments are uh, written by a script writer things of that nature they do not count in the strike because they're not part of the SAG but do you think ultimately things like professional sports should have the writers included in something like this since they're basically doing the same type of job in a different uh, format or a different genre? I think it's, you know, they have to decide on their own definitions about what will constitute the writer. I think that a lot of that now is because of, you know, AI. The writers are worried. The actors are worried. It's an interesting notion because AI is the future. Well, maybe the very near future. And so do you say we shouldn't use the technology? Do you say we should control it? Do, do you get compensated? You know, the horse and buggy is gone. I mean, things, you know, we don't have color TV, we don't have black and white TV anymore. I mean, technology moves forward. And so the question is, how do you control it? And, and I guess that's the, but ultimately it's about money as most, you know, like 95% of everything is. Oh, my concern is it's the creativity of the movies because they've gone, they've kind of forgotten that the most important thing are the characters and the story. And you should write movies and have a message, but the message must much old, oh, and that's wonderful. There are many messages and issues that should be covered, but Ultimately, the most important message is how what you're talking about affects the people, the human beings, who I think are, you know, I think people are unfortunately the least represented voting bloc in our country. And it's just the flawed people, the, you know, the, the people who make mistakes like all of us do. Um, and we're not perfect, but we try. And I think that basically people are, are good and, um, we just not always we don't always do the right thing, but you know maybe we feel bad after that, and I think we have to remember that that's those are the best stories, the stories where the characters linger and the literary characters remain in your mind and your consciousness, and you wonder after the the movie, after the book, after the play, after the TV show, well, gee, I wonder what happened to that character, and I think. What's really uh, now? I'm not a big fan of TV shows or movies about um, the elite, the, re the the rich. My wife likes like billions, and I just couldn't abide it. They made me want to throw up in my mouth. But Succession. I don't know if you ever watched it on Max, and it was a brilliant series. And I thought when I first started watching, I said, "Oh, these people are so rich, and they're all powerful, and I just hope you know their plane falls out of the sky." But it was just so well done because you really cared about them. And I think that really said a lot about what makes drama and, and, and fiction and comedy uh, the best 
is when people are not, you know, 100%, and, but you still root for them. You still feel for them. You want to talk about, you know, the drop in comedy in, in our entertainment because you can't make fun of anyone. Hello? Well, that's comedy. Too bad. You, you, you know, you need thick skin. That's the essence of comedy. It's, you, you go back thousands of years. You, um, Greek theater, they would be, you know, thumbing their nose at the authorities, making fun of them, making fun of the laws, making fun of customs, satirizing, and often sharply. But that's what you need. You need to hold up a mirror, but you need to have humor in our comedy. I, I don't know about you, but I can't, I don't find any comedy shows very funny. I mean, is there any comedy show, say, on TV, any sitcom or any um, movie that you would actually find funny of, of recent memory? Nothing that was purposely done to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well said. Exactly. Exactly. It, you know, we've, we've forgotten our ability to laugh at ourselves. And that's why we need to sit back in the easy chair, you know, with some, you know, um, popcorn and watch something and just laugh. Um, The last few weeks in the wrestling world have been fairly tough because we've lost several members of the wrestling fraternity Uh, Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt and Abe Jacobs all passed away a couple of weeks ago within days of each other. Earlier this week, Adnan L. Casey passed away at the age of 89. Adnan was a massive star up here where I am in the Pacific Northwest as Billy White Wolf and had a long career under that name before transitioning back to his actual name and wrestling in a completely different persona, and then later had a great career as a top manager. Having lost him this week, do you have any fond memories of Adnan LKC? Well, as you said, he was a great figure, and I think he, he entertained a lot of people, and people loved him, and really... What more do you want on your headstone? Right? He connected. People cared about him. I think it was, it, I remember Terry Funk, um, you know, great. Great wrestler. Sometimes they, they're dying a little young, which is very just troubling. Now, when you were with PWI, it was a very different time, a very different era, but yeah. do you remember having to do obituaries for wrestlers that passed away while you were there? You know, no one really comes to mind, honestly. I don't remember anyone passing. I mean, I guess they were in, you know, pretty good shape. Maybe they didn't take, now, this is just speculation, maybe there wasn't as much widespread steroid use. That's possible. Um, I don't know, you know, 
I think drugs in wrestling, it, I mean, it was always kind of there, maybe on the periphery, but I think it really exploded more in the 80s and 90s. And it's just not good for you. It's as simple as that. It, it, it eats away your organs. So I think we were all very fortunate that, uh, you know, the Bruno Sammartinos of the world lasted through that time uh, with their, you know, their, their great dignity. Who is, who's your favorite? i got to ask you because you've seen a lot. <laughs> okay. So if you had one wrestler buy a ticket to see tonight, who would it be? Are we talking of all time or currently? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all time. Yep. That you, we're going to open... We're going to open the gates to heaven for you, Jason. Okay, and someone that's passed or someone that's still living? Yeah, whatever you want. Um, I'd say my all-time favorite, and a lot of people are taken aback when I say this, but it's always been true, Sweet Stan Lane. Hmm. Now, why is that? I just enjoyed how he uh, combined pro wrestling with martial arts as a style, and... He was always just really charismatic, so I was always just really drawn to what he did. Yeah. Well, for me, it was it was Bruno Sammartino. Bruno Bruno was just had such class and had such dignity, and was just such a, a good and decent person. He was a, I thought he was a terrific role model. But you, you know, you think about it, this been so many thousands and thousands of wrestlers who have come our way, right? You know, remember when when PWI started, and I, I know we, we don't have much time left, but when PWI started back in, I think it was 1978, 78 or 70, it was 1978, 78 or 79, um, it was a different world also in terms of media. There was no cable TV. Or if it was cable TV, it was very limited. There was no superstation. There was no CNN. Okay, and so if there was a match in New York, in the Madison Square Garden, the people you know in Minneapolis, you know, would maybe not even know about it or know what was going on. It wasn't this instantaneous world, and we were PWI. We were like the rock stars on the newsstands. We outsold Sports Illustrated because we filled a huge gap, a few, a huge need for for wrestling fans, keeping them informed every month. It was also fun to write, and and the people were fun to work with. And you say you still uh, speak to him from time to time, and I'm really happy he's still out there. How fun was it working with Matt Brock? Oh, I mean, he's just, a, you want to talk about a class act, colorful, curmudgeon, crotchety, funny, smart. He was just, he linked all the generations. There was great teams, you know. There was Matt, there was, like I said, Bill After, Stu Sachs, Ida King, Randy Gordon, Steve Farhood, uh, the late Dan Shockett, Greg Peters. Uh, there was just, Wonderful people, and I'm always proud to have been part of that. And I'm proud to have been on the show tonight. We are always very proud to have you on this show. You know that. 
And we are, like you said, getting down to the last little bit, and I want to make sure there is ample time. If you have anything you want to say to the listeners today, if you want to plug and promote absolutely anything, the plays, the book, your favorite dry cleaner, anything in the world, or <laughs> yours. Well, I, I would like, um, it's my, my novel, they're all uh, a mound over hell, which was called, as I, as I mentioned, 1984 meets Shoeless Joe, uh, a fastball for freedom, which was called a dystopian field of dreams, and um, a dugout to peace, where John Quinn, the former sports editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer, said, uh, the boys of summer saved the world. And so it's a, it's a book, if you love baseball, if you love science fiction, um, I think you're going to really enjoy this. It's it's fast-paced. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of adventures. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of intrigue. And there's a lot of twists and surprises. And I hope you, you'll go check it out at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and anywhere uh, you might buy you know good books. I know, Jason, you're going to Barnes & Noble next week. To Absolutely. I'm Get there, get the pre-order, and be all set. All right. Well, thank you again, my friend. It's a joy to be with you. Give my best to the coach. I most certainly will. And, Gary, it's always a pleasure to have you. Anytime you want back on here, you just have to say the word, and we'll make it happen. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good Take care, Jason. All right. You as well. And fans, definitely make plans to pick up the third book. The series has been fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to getting the third in the trilogy and getting into that. Uh, as we wrap up today, don't forget you can find me tomorrow at the Key Peninsula Civic Center in Vaughn, Washington for Northwest Pro. The return of Mikey O'Shea tomorrow night. So make sure you are with us. Get out there, support your local independents no matter where they may be near you and we'll be back with you Sunday afternoon we will have Stuart Kemp joining us at that point uh, Mick Karch who was scheduled initially had to reschedule due to a funeral but we will be joined by Stuart Kemp and then one week from today from the great state of South Dakota we will be joined by Brandon Nitro a very very charismatic young wrestler but as we end today, as I said, we did lose General Adnan LKC. Uh, you might have known him in the Pacific Northwest or also in the New York area as Billy White Wolf. But no matter how you knew him, he was a great star. We will miss him, and we will toll the bell in the traditional 10-bell salute.